Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. Memorial Day weekend is here, in the United States at least, and that means it's the official start of the summer. And since we've been cooped up for the past year or more, uh, a lot of us will be venturing out and reacquainting ourselves with the beauty of nature. But little do we know, dangers lurking in the shadows may also be ready to reacquaint themselves with their favorite prey, us. This month's mega episode will feature three stories of predators stalking their human prey. This first story plays off one of the most common phobias out there, but I can't tell you what that is just yet. I hate spoilers. Written by Reddit user Ozark Night Owl, here is I'm Home Alone. Something keeps scratching my back. When I got home earlier today, my roommate was acting weird. I asked him what was wrong, but he said nothing as he looked around nervously. I'd just gotten home from a lunch date and he was getting ready to leave for his afternoon shift, but he was frazzled. Something was definitely wrong. He left and the house was quiet. Soon, I'd have to go to bed and sleep before I went to work for a night shift. For now, I plopped down on the couch. I wanted to watch something on my phone, but as I scrolled through the options, I couldn't find anything good. When I set my phone down, I finally noticed how dark and quiet the house was. I felt something rub on my hand and jumped. It was my blanket from when I was a kid. My mom had dropped it off for me not too long ago, as a reminder of home. Man, I needed to calm down. I relaxed and took in my surroundings. The old blanket. The rough texture of the old couch. The tick-tock sound of the nearby clock. And the scratching sound on the wall behind me. I jumped up again and looked behind the couch. Nothing. I was going to sock my roommate on the arm later for freaking me out. Once again, I calmed down and took it all in as I drifted off. The ticking clock the blanket, the rough couch, the hand scratching my back. I was shocked awake, but I was too freaked out to move. It felt like rough, lanky fingers gently scratching on my upper back. When I tensed up, I felt the fingers tense up. I finally rolled quickly off the couch and I swear I could see a huge, dark hand moving fast out of the corner of my eye. I emboldened myself and madly tore into the cushions. Nothing. It's got to be my imagination, 
right? I made myself sit down on the other side of the couch. I made myself sit down on the other side of the couch. This time, I flicked open my pocket knife and wielded the blade over my head like a madman as I ripped away from the cushions. Nothing. I grabbed my blanket and yanked it up. Also nothing. As my adrenaline surged, I stomped off to my room, still clenching the blanket. I collapsed into bed with my blanket next to me as I faded into sleep. I dreamed that my blanket was coming to life and was rolling on top of me in order to suffocate me. I woke up. I could feel the scratchy blanket sitting on my chest, right over my heart. Its fingers spread all over me, the size of a dinner plate. I don't know why it came to my mind right then, but I remembered that my roommate worked in the research department of the local university's biology lab. I blinked as my eyes adjusted to the dim light and found myself staring into several pairs of tiny black eyes in the middle of a demonic-looking creature with several furry legs emanating from it. I tried desperately not to increase my breathing as I knew that would make it react. I could not stab it without stabbing myself. Those of you who know about bird spiders, called that because they literally hunt birds, know that they are normally huge but with legs spanning 12 inches wide. This one was as big as they ever got. I guess I know what my roommate was up to lately with all the late nights in the lab. I couldn't hold my breath anymore, and my heart rate increased. It slowly lifted its fangs to strike. I swatted it with my blanket, and both it and the blanket flew into the corner. I grabbed my phone and shined the screen toward it. I saw the blanket move. I hopped up into a crouched position and lunged at it. I began to rain down blows on the blanket. It began screeching. Die, you freak! After a while, I collapsed against the wall, hyperventilating but never taking my eyes off of the blanket. Was... was this thing moving? I couldn't believe it. I saw furry legs clawing their way out of the wool cloth. I grabbed the thing and yelled, Die already! as I hurled it out of an open window. Both it and the blanket landed in my barbecue pit in the yard. Perfect, I thought. I ran outside with a lighter and lighter fluid, angrily laughing like a madman. The coals in the pit were old and used, but 
they should work. I saw furry legs trying to claw out of the pit, but retracted quickly as I doused it in fluid. When I stuck the lighter to it, it lunged at me in order to bite, but I was ready, and I stabbed it with my poker in my other hand. The fire roared with a whoosh, and wouldn't you know, that thing screamed like a banshee. The blanket burned too. Sorry, Mom. I grabbed a spiked tip, tenderizing the hammer, and smashed the ashes until there was nothing left. Now, as I'm typing this in my car, in the dead of night, I still shudder when I feel an itch on my skin. I'm outside of a pet shop right now, and the owner is just getting here to open up. He's got a bird spider for sale that should be a perfect parting gift for my roommate as I move out tonight. Trapped right under his pillow. The one he always lays on and adjusts as soon as he gets home in the mornings. After that, I'm crashing at mom and dad's place. Anyway, it's late. Sleep well, everyone. If you are a connoisseur of spooky stories like myself, you might be familiar with the trope, dare I say, the cliché, of the whole, I felt like someone was watching me thing. For a while, I never understood what that meant. How could you feel when someone is looking at you? Well, dear listener, all I can say is you cannot know the feeling until you feel it. And I'm going to make the bold assumption that if you have not felt it yet, you will give it time. I know I did, not too long ago. And it made the following story all that much scarier. Written by Reddit user Joshua Andrew 1985 I present When you feel like something is watching you from the shadows, run. Okay, holy shit. I'm writing this up online because I honestly don't know what else to do. I'm freaked the hell out. My hands are shaking. It's hard to type. I think I'll post this to Reddit once I get all the details in, but I really don't know what to do. I guess I should start off with some background information. I'm a high school senior and kind of a huge nerd. As a firm believer in the scientific method, I usually classify myself as, to put it mildly, highly skeptical of the paranormal. Today, or I guess yesterday night by now, I haven't slept a wink since this happened, a bunch of friends came over to my house for a potluck and a New Year's party. We had just finished eating our potluck dinner, and were sitting around my living room watching some stupid YouTube videos. There were some good ones at first, but after a while, I could tell everyone was starting to get bored. Someone suggested for us to go out and explore the woods a little bit down the road from my house, 
People were hesitant at first, but after a while we were able to convince them that it would be fun, or at least more fun than sitting around doing nothing. So we all left, traveling through my neighbor's backyard, then down the main road, through some bushes, and down to the end of a nearby dead-end street. It was around 6 o'clock, but it was already pitch black, except for a rust-colored moon hanging ominously above the trees. When we reached the edge of the woods, I pushed my way through the thick brambles that bordered the yard we were standing in. Yes, we were probably trespassing. Most of us really didn't think anything of it. We do stupid shit. Anyway, the ones with more common sense than the rest of us, like our student council president, Haycraft, were hesitant to go in. But I pushed. Oh, come on, guys. We've gone this far. Let's go down to the river. It'll be fun. I beckoned. Most of my friends murmured agreements. Some said nothing. One by one, people started pushing their way into the thicket. Once Spencer, who held the only real flashlight, everyone else was just using their phones, had guided everyone through, including himself. We headed off into the black. I tripped over a nearly invisible wire fence hidden by the leaves after only a few more steps. So we again took another minute to make sure everyone safely made it over. We had only gone another maybe 20 feet down the hill when we came across a spool of barbed wire lying in a mound of damp leaves. We stopped to look. Weird. Check this out. Part of it is made out of sticks. Eli remarked. No, you idiot. That's barbed wire. It's just rusty. Someone returned. I didn't really care what it was made out of, so while a few of them circled around and started poking and prodding at it, I hung around the edge of the group. That was when I felt it. You know the whole cliché feeling like you're being watched thing? Well, it's stupid. You'd never know someone or something is watching you from deep in the shadows without some other sense triggering that instinct. Maybe an object moving in your peripheral vision, or a strange sound being noticed by the subconscious, or maybe even just a cold breeze blowing across your neck. I don't know which of my senses triggered that feeling for me, but when I was standing on the outskirts of our pack, some primal instinct froze me with fear. Were we being watched? Or was it just a trick of the mind? Looking around at the few others not amused by the spool of wire made me realize I wasn't alone in that feeling. Claire was the first one to spot it. What? What is that, you guys? Do you see that? Look, up there! She pointed her phone's flashlight 
up towards the yard we had entered through. We looked up to see where she was pointing. I see it too, said Eli. It's just a post. What are you freaking out about? Silhouetted against the moonlit sky was a figure leaning against the yard's picket fence. It looked almost human. Almost. But it was hard to tell. It had a long, dark, skinny body and a head cloaked in shadow, but no other distinct features visible from where we were standing. Yeah, I think it's just the post, Haycraft remarked. Are we going to keep going or what? Let's get down to the river. I strained my eyes to get a closer look. It almost looked like it was shaking its head. No, guys, hold on. I think that's a dude. Do you think it's the property owner? I said. Maybe we should go, Claire returned. I strained my eyes even harder. I was getting a little scared. Yeah, it's shaking its head. I told you this was a stupid idea, Spencer said, still holding the flashlight. He aimed the beam up at the figure, but it didn't reach through the thick mess of trees. It's definitely just a post, you guys, Eli remarked. No, look, man. I can see it shaking its head. What is it even doing? I said. That was when somebody from our group shouted, Hello! Chills ran down my spine. Whatever this thing was, it was definitely shaking its head. No. We stood there yelling towards it for a minute or two, with no response. It just shook its head, back and forth, back and forth back and forth, still unmoving, waist leaning against the top of the fence post, eerily silhouetted against the moonlit sky. And then, it took a step towards us. It had long, skinny, black legs, too long to be human. I caught a glimpse of its teeth, this creature grinned a wide, sinister smile. Its eyes were as wide as the full moon above, massive and unblinking. With a collective gasp, our group went silent. It took another step. Turn your damn lights off! Let's go! I demanded. All I could hear was heavy breathing. Shit, shit, shit. Let's go. Now. Watch for the wire fences. Keep your damn lights off. Let's go. We split and started bolting through the woods. I somehow managed to miss the wire fence without tripping. 
and sprinted through the thicket, coming to a stop at the corner of the picket fence, opposite to where the figure was standing. I looked back to check on the others, but everyone was still masked by darkness. The figure was obscured from sight by the tall, spiked tops of the fence posts. Claire and Patrick were the only others who had kept pace with me. They both emerged from the woods a few seconds after I turned around. We crouched together by the fence, waiting for the others. How tall is that dude? I whispered nervously. He was taller than the damn fence. What the hell? There was this noise unlike anything I had ever heard before. Something low, dark, and sinister, like the moan of some hellish foghorn calling out with the might of 10,000 damned souls. Images from a documentary I'd watched the night before flooded into my mind. The golden eyes of a lioness stalking her prey from the bushes the startled call of the antelope as it fell, the mangled body that was left behind. A chill ran down my spine. Patrick's eyes grew wide with fear. He grabbed my arm. I'm not waiting around here any longer. Let's run, now. We'll meet the others back home or something. I saw that that thing move when we started running. We took off and hauled ass through the yard. I didn't look back until we were home. We were all terrified. Both of my parents had already gone to bed, so we just waited on the back porch, anxious for the return of the rest of the group. We exchanged very few words over the next hour. People slowly started trickling back to the house. Haycraft, stone-faced, joined us at the table. Then Lily. Then Spencer. He had lost his flashlight somewhere along the way, and his clothes were covered in mud. He looked like he'd crawled out of the woods on his stomach. We continued in silence, anxious for the rest of the group to return. At midnight, Eli was still missing. We waited and waited, but he didn't show. I was the one to break the silence. Where is he? I was met with shrugs and more silence. Most of us had curfews. Every 20 minutes or so, one of us would get up from the table, get in their car, and drive home. The minutes ticked by into hours. I'm now the only one left. It's almost 3am, but he still hasn't showed. I don't know what the hell that thing was, but I'm scared for Eli's life. I can still hear that torturous sound 
echoing in my head. Or is it really there? I pray for his sake that it's just the wind. If I could give all of you one word of advice, the next time you get that feeling, that tingling on the back of your neck, that primal instinct of vulnerability, a feeling that something is watching you from the shadows, run. Have you, dear listener, ever gone hunting? I personally never have, but I would like to give it a try one day. The only two requirements are that the prey would have to be something that is plentiful, perhaps even something that is a nuisance to the surrounding area, and B, I'd have to be able to make full use of whatever I kill. Nothing can go to waste. Well, to the beasts in this next story, there is one prey that totally fits both those criteria humans. The third and final story, written by Reddit user Jam102, is brilliantly titled, I went to Rapid City to hunt, not knowing I was the prey. Enjoy. I know monsters exist. Trust me, as crazy as it sounds, it's 100% accurate. I had a hard time convincing myself at first. You try and substantiate the things you've seen, telling yourself it's just an undiscovered species or something. That was my go-to explanation when I killed the first one. Me and a couple of my buddies had planned a hunting trip down to Rapid City, South Dakota. Best place to go for year-round game. Since around the age of eight, I'd been making this place my very own sandbox. I knew everything about it. The lakes, trails, and those beautiful mountains. When we arrived, we set up camp, readied our equipment, and set out to plant a few traps for breakfast the next day. It was here I knew something wasn't right. As my friend was tying down a twig into one of the snags, we all heard a sharp screech rip through the idyllic woods. It caused my friend to slip, and the snag ended up closing on his finger. While we were treating the wound at camp, the same screech ripped through again. Shrugging it off as an aggressive owl call, we headed off to sleep, all feeling uneasy about the crappy start to our trip. I proceeded to have one of the worst night's sleep of my life. That is, if you could even call it sleep. I tossed and turned, kicking around in my tiny tent, until I heard a crack outside, That made me freeze. The fire was burning out, and it was casting the long shadows of the trees onto the side of my tent. I listened as intensely as I could, and watched in mounting fear as the shadows started to change. Another dark shape was weaving 
in and out of the uniform line of trees, popping up behind one and each time reappearing bigger, which meant it was getting closer. Now, as an experienced hunter, I knew there was only one plausible explanation for this. A bear. Bears don't give a crap if you've got a fire going. If they smell food, they're coming to have a look. I reached around my tent for my backpack and searched through it as quietly as I could. The shadow was now blocking out all of the trees. It was right outside. Quietly, I pulled out my hunting blade and tried to think of a plan. It would have been useless to try and take the bear full on. This isn't the revenant. A bear will rip you in half without even blinking. I'd have to try and run for the car. The rifles were all in the back. There was a noise from my other side, and I realized one of my friends must have opened their tent. I saw the shadow flicker in my peripheral vision, and when I turned to look, it was gone. Then, I heard the scream. I was out of my tent within a few seconds, haphazardly looking around and holding out the knife. In front of me was an image that will be burned into my mind until the day I die. My friend, the one with the bandaged up finger, being held in the hands of an abhorrent creation of God. It was at least nine feet tall, standing on two legs, hairless, with a curved spine and long, saggy ears. Its face was sunken and littered with cuts and scars. The wounds were festering and rotting. Its mouth was blistered and blood poured out of the gums, which were on full show, further enhancing its yellow, jagged teeth. The monster was holding my friend between both of its hands, claw-like and piercing into his abdomen. I screamed at it, and it snapped its head around to look me dead on. The eyes were black and lifeless. Without blinking, the monster ripped my friend into two. As the blood and flesh scattered around the place, I saw my other friend's tent start to open. The creature must have seen me looking, because it turned, and within a second, it was ripping at the tent's opening. I took a chance. As it was reaching into the opening to rip another one of my friends into shreds, I pelted it over and over, stabbing it in the back. It reared back and screeched, as we had heard before, reaching over its shoulder to pull the blade out. I pushed it backwards, and it fell onto the embers of our fire, and began to roll around screeching more and more as the hot ashes burned its skin. My friend had stumbled out next to me, and after seeing the top half of our buddy slumped at the base of a tree, we began to beat this thing into a bloody pulp. We did not stop until the sound of bones breaking turned into the sound of muscles mushing. Our hands, chest, and faces were dark red with its blood, 
what kind of animal was that? My friend mumbled after a while. That was the first one. We reported the incident to the police. They assumed we must have been mistaken with our explanation. They actually assured us it was probably a bear or a cougar, and our imagination filled in the gaps. My friend was quick to eat that up. To this day, he never talked about it with me. But to be honest, I haven't spent much time with him. I have been obsessed with finding out whatever the hell that thing was. I'm happy to say I've made a decent amount of progress. I returned to Rapid City about a month later. I'd been online and posted about my experience on some forums. I don't know. I thought there must be someone out there who knew something. And I was right. Another outdoor enthusiast named Kevin responded and told me how he'd come across something similar quite a few times. We arranged a meetup. Kevin told me how he'd grown up around the place, gone hunting with his father since he was a kid. He said the locals knew there was something dangerous up in the mountains, but they'd never been bothered by it until a few years ago. He called this creature the Wendigo. Let me just say though, it doesn't matter what folktale or name you give something. If it's a monster, it probably existed long before humankind and has no concept of stories. That's another thing I think us humans do to try and substantiate things we can't explain. We give it a legend. Kevin told me how certain parts of the mountains were off-limit due to the unexplained disappearances. He offered to take me to a place he knew the Wendigo liked to congregate. On the way, he filled me in on some of the details. Wendigos were fast, extremely strong, had fantastic hearing, and hated fire. As he said that, he tapped his backpack and winked. If we see any of those shits, they'll be going up in flames. That night, we reached the base of Black Elk Peak, and Kevin took me around through a hidden path to an opening carved right into the floor. It was about 50 feet wide and pitch black. I have no idea how far down it went. That's where they're coming from. We found this about six months ago. Wasn't here before that. There's numerous other ones around the way, but we've had a lot of activity here. Kevin said, peeking down into the hole. We secluded ourselves between some trees and faced the hole, crouched in the dirt. Now, if we see anything, you need to stay quiet. Take your photo and we can leave, okay? Kevin whispered. I told him I needed a photo of the Wendigo so I could prove to the police they existed. Sure, Kevin. I whispered back while squeezing hard onto the Glock hidden under my arm. We waited and waited. The sun had gone down and the cold had really picked up. Kevin was talking about giving up, 
when we both heard the sound of the earth being moved. Squinting, I saw the top of a head protrude out of the hole, warily raising itself up. Kevin had not let me down. There, pulling itself out of the hole with those huge claws and drooping skin, was the Wendigo. This one was smaller than the one I killed, but it made up for it by being twice as ugly. It cracked its neck upward and started to sniff at the air. Its tongue flipped in and out of its mouth like a snake. Then it arched its back and let out that terrible screech. I felt the ground shake slightly and Kevin grabbed hold of my arm. I hadn't even realized, but I'd pulled out the gun. Don't you fucking dare, Kevin whispered at me. Better get those Molotovs ready, I said, and turned to look at the opening. In the short time it had taken for Kevin to admonish me, there were now five Wendigos standing on the edge of the hole, staring directly at Kevin and me. They were all different heights, and all had trouble standing straight, leaning into their claws, with a focused and hungry leer painted across each rotting face. I shot first. By the time the first Wendigo's brain hit the ground, the other four were already galloping at us, tearing up the ground and emitting those deafening screeches. I turned up to help Kevin, but he was already lighting the rag of a petrol bottle. He threw it, and it shattered into flames in front of the beasts. They scattered around the flames, still gunning for us. I shot another in the shoulder, and it crashed into the ground, writhing about. Another stopped to help it, so I took a shot, but missed. It flinched as the bullet whizzed past and slowly turned to face me. Its lips were curled and its teeth were bared. I took another shot, but its fallen comrade lunged upwards and caught the bullet in the back. It fell into the flailing arms of the one who had tried to help it, and they both crumpled to the ground. The other two had reached Kevin, who smashed another Molotov at his feet. A surge of flames erupted in front of him, like a wall, and engulfed one of the Wendigos entirely. The other jumped away like a kangaroo, but went crashing into a rock, stumbling and finally falling to the floor, breathing rapidly. I shot at the one that was on fire to stop it from running around screaming. It also hit the ground, charred and whimpering. Within ten seconds, this lovely little slice of nature had turned into what looked like a war zone. Kevin was on the floor, panting, and I was leaning against a tree, trying to catch my breath. We both caught each other's eyes and started nervously laughing. That's when I learned one of my most important life lessons. Never take your eye off the ball.
it felt like a hot whip had been slapped across my face. The Wendigo who had stopped to assist the one I shot had snuck up and slashed me right across the face. I felt the chunks of skin rip off my cheekbones and I fell onto the ground unable to see and with only a faint buzzing to hear. That's when I blacked out. Of course, I survived. It's kind of a spoiler, considering you're reading about it right now, but yeah. It didn't get to kill me that day. Thankfully, Kevin was able to scare it off before it sunk its teeth into me. He told me afterwards that he only had one Molotov cocktail left, so I should feel grateful he wasted it on me. Since then, him and I have become pretty good friends. One good thing to come out of all of this, in any case. Of course, I told the police what happened, but they're not interested. It's bad for business, I suppose. Nobody wants to go hunting where they could become the prey. Just be careful if you ever go down to Rapid City. There's something there that's not afraid to tango. And remember, fire is your friend. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy podcast. If you haven't grasped it by now, I'll reiterate... We are not always at the top of the food chain. So, next time you're out there, in the unexplored or unconquered lands this world has to offer, be alert. There might be something waiting for you just around the corner. I truly pray that doesn't happen to you. Get it? Is it? I said pray. And on that note, I bid you all adieu. If you're interested in learning more or connecting with any of the authors featured in this episode, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Until next time, this is Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode.